Amy Stewart has written several books exploring gardening and the natural world. One of my favorites is her investigation of earthworms. Yes, an entire book about earthworms, and it's a great read. The title is The Earth Moved, and if you haven't read it, I'd encourage you to check it out. I had the opportunity to talk with Amy from her home in Portland about what led her to write about worms. I learned that these unseen creatures make just about everything in our lives possible. So I'm Amy Stewart, and I'm a, I'm a writer, and I'm in Portland, Oregon. You've written several books, and I want to talk to you a little bit about an older book from 2004 called The Earth Moved. Tell me about that book. Yeah, so this was my second book, um, and what happened was that I moved from Santa Cruz, California to Eureka, California, which is about an eight-hour drive north along the coast in California. And when I got there, I noticed that the earthworms in my garden soil were different than the ones in Santa Cruz. And I thought, well, geez, how many different species of earthworms are there? And what are these and why are they different from the ones in Santa Cruz? So I sort of poked around and, and tried to find something out about that and, and realized that there wasn't, um, there wasn't a lot of information out there. Charles Darwin wrote a, an amazing book about earthworms. Uh, it was his last book, and um, that came out at the very end of his life. So it had been well over 100 years since anyone had really done like a comprehensive natural history of earthworms. So, you know, once I realized that there's actually thousands of species of earthworms around the world and that that there's a great deal that we still don't know about earthworms, I thought it would be, uh, you know, an interesting subject for a book. I bet people look at you a little odd when you say, oh, yeah, I wrote a book about earthworms. Do you what kind of action do you get from people about that book? Um, yeah, it's, it's funny. I, uh, you know, I, I, I also wrote a book about booze a few years after that called The Drunken Botanist. And I always joke that, you know, people, people were begging to go help me with my research when I was writing about plants and booze. But when I was writing about earthworms and soil, no one was exactly begging to, uh, to come along and, and help with the research. But here's the funny thing. Everyone, once they get over, like, really, you, uh, an entire book about earthworms, immediately they have some question about earthworms. They're like, wait, 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 let me ask you this. And it, it, and it turns out that everyone has either a weird earthworm story, like they have an uncle who, you know, was a big worm composter, or they have some burning question about earthworms, and they've never been able to ask it. So, uh, so it's weirdly a book that people connect to. Well, and it's, it's weird. I mean, we can all relate to worms. I think everyone... Well, maybe not everyone, but it seems like most people, especially gardeners, have have, have had some experience with worms. Um, yeah, well, they're ubiquitous. And, uh, you know, every step you take as you walk down the street, there's probably an earthworm right underneath the soil, just just out of sight. So it's uh, they're, they're, they are all around us. Well, and you, you write in your book about the power earthworms have. I mean, they literally have the power to bury us. And yeah. it's sort of incredible that they have this immense ability, but most people really aren't aware of them. I mean, you started out with your, your original project not being able to find much information about that. It seems sort of odd that this powerful creature is right there under our feet, and we don't know much about it. Right. So, the uh, yeah, the, I chose the subtitle for the book is On the Remarkable Achievements of Earthworms, because I don't think that we really think of earthworms as accomplishing much. You know, they're they're blind and deaf and spineless and <laughs> tiny. Um, 
So it, it, it's impossible to believe almost that they can do as much as they do, but they really do have the power to transform a landscape, um, to change what plants can grow and where they can grow. Um, they can uh, break down pollutants. They they have buried, you know, ar- archaeological ruins. So it's it's kind of amazing the things that they do and the areas of our life that they can get involved in that I think people don't really consider. Um, and they're hard to study. So part of the reason there's not a lot of information about them is that you don't see them. It's not like birds where you can just look up in the sky and there they are. It's uh, it's pretty difficult to find earthworms. They, they're underground. You can't just look down in there. They will dash away at the sense of vibrations like someone's digging in the soil. So it's easy for them to get away. So that's why scientists are still turning up new species of earthworms. And if you're an earthworm scientist, you can actually name a new species because there are so many that we haven't found. One of the things you write about, and I don't mean to make a pun here, but it's sort of the dark side of earthworms. So you tell me a little bit about the um, study you found, uh, you write about in Minnesota and what happened um, in some of the forests there that they were linking back to earthworms. What was happening was that the undergrowth of the forest in Minnesota was changing. Um, the, 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 the little understory plants seem to be disappearing and there seemed to even be more space between the trees and people were coming to the university of Minnesota to their forestry department and saying this, like, don't you think the forest looks different than it used to? And no one could really figure out what it was. Well, a couple of researchers thought to dig and thought to really look at the soil. And this is something that had not been on the radar of forestry scientists before now. Um, The researchers told me that they would go to forestry conferences and stand in the back and raise their hand and say, what's going on in your soil? And nobody really knew. But what had happened in Minnesota is that People were bringing European species of earthworms, like the the nightcrawler and the red wiggler that we're all familiar with. Those are European imports. And they were bringing them into um, the woods in Minnesota, maybe as fishing bait around a lake or in fill dirt if you're building a cabin or clearing a road or something like that. And those species of earthworms had not previously been found in Minnesota's uh, forests. And not only that, But those forests had actually evolved since the last ice age to not have any earthworms in them at all of any species. So when European worms started making their way into these forests, they they munched on the uh, decaying, rotting uh, duff layer, the, the annual leaf fall in the forest, and devoured it pretty quickly and turned it into rich, crumbly earthworm castings which would be great news if they were doing that in your vegetable garden. But in the forest in Minnesota, the the plants that had evolved to live in their particular type of soil just couldn't do as well uh, with the, with the soil so radically changed. And so really quickly, like in a generation, what plants grow in that forest changed because of earthworms coming in. So as a gardener, should I be a little squeamish about, you know, when I take my vermicompost out of the box, I try to be real careful and take all the worms out, but I'm sure there are a few that end up in my garden. Should I be worried about the woods that are out beyond the edge of my yard? Probably not. You know, so first of all, Minnesota's case is unusual because Minnesota was covered by ice during the last ice age. And that's when whatever earthworms were there were probably killed off. 
And so that forest in particular evolved without earthworms, but that is not true of every forest everywhere in the country or, you know, everywhere in the world. So probably those uh, European species of earthworms are already in the forest and they're already in your soil. And they're not necessarily going to transform the soil type of every forest anywhere in the world such that it would be more difficult for those native plants to live there. So, you know, it's really important not to take um, one or two examples and, and, you know, run away with them and apply them to every other ecosystem. I think that's the important thing about studying ecosystems is to recognize that they're unique and, um, and even what threatens them is, is unique from place to place. I'm calling you from from Durham, North Carolina. We're right here about the middle of the state. We call this the Piedmont region. And we have very heavy, dense clay soil. So gardeners Mm -hmm. here are, um, we're all crazed for compost and improving our soil. It's It's a basic requirement to garden here. And a lot of gardeners, um, create their own compost and are really focused on it. Not so many people are using earthworms to do vermicomposting. Why do you think that is? I mean, this is such an easy thing to do. What do you see as the barriers to to people using earthworms? Uh, well, <laughs> so there's a couple ways to think about this. I mean, one one way to talk about earthworm composting is that you have an outdoor compost pile, and there are worms that are going to find their way to it because they're going to find their way to a food source, and they will help break down your compost and turn it in, or help break down your, you know whatever you're tossing in there and turn it into great compost for your soil. And that's probably just happening all by itself. Um, But what mostly when we talk about earthworm composting, what we're talking about is a separate bin that you're just going to throw your kitchen scraps into and you're going to buy earthworms to live in that bin and you're going to sort of maintain it. It's not as much work as a beehive, but it is sort of that general concept and that it's this, you know, somewhat artificially created colony of, tiny creatures that has a specialized diet and requires a certain amount of of care. Um, So, you know, why don't people do that? Well, it's it's a little bit of extra work and you can just as easily throw your kitchen scraps on an outdoor compost pile and let whatever earthworms find their way there do their work anyway. So I think that's the reason. I mean, it is sort of a fun thing to do. I I had an earthworm bin for, gosh, 10 or 15 years. And the only reason I got rid of mine is that I got chickens and I found that it was much more fun to feed my kitchen scraps to the chickens than it was to feed them to the worms because the chickens run around and squawk and act happy and the worms just sort of sit there being worms when you give them food. So Now you're making a value judgment about who has more entertainment value. <laughs> That's right. I, I definitely am. Yes, I can I can say with absolute certainty that uh, but you you throw a handful of rice to a flock of chickens and something much more exciting happens than when you give that same handful of rice to some earthworms. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Well, any tips or things that you would offer um, that a beginning vermicomposter should keep in mind? Yeah, there is one that um, I find doesn't get mentioned often enough, which is that whatever kind of earthworm bin you get, there's always an issue of maintaining moisture content and also keeping other critters out of the bin. Um, And by other critters, I mean, you know, maybe it's ants or beetles or whatever other insects or other little creepy crawly critters might find their way in there. And the answer to both of those problems is to put a ton of shredded paper on top of your, uh, 
food scraps between the top of the food scraps and the lid and to keep replenishing that. It'll gradually break down. The earthworms will actually sort of help break down that paper, but um, it helps to regulate moisture and it keeps especially little fruit flies and stuff like that from finding their way in. And it's very easy to just sort of pull aside the pile of shredded paper and dump more food in and cover it up again. So you can use shredded office paper or shredded newspaper. Um, anything that isn't sort of glossy coated paper will be fine. And, um, and, and it'll really help keep the bin functioning. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, I, you're inspirational. <laughs> I want to get out there and uh, feed my worms even more, but I'm not going to go with the chickens. We don't, we don't have enough room here. <laughs> Amy, thank you. Fair enough. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time. Oh, thank you. I'm Lise Jenkins, and this is the Triangle Gardener Show. We're your guide to enjoyable gardening in North Carolina. You can find this and other episodes of our podcast on our website, trianglegardener.com, on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.